Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2020, events have again shone a light on inequalities across the globe, and Australia is not an exception. 20 years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hello and welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. I'm Martin Pierce. Policy Forum Pod is brought to you by PolicyForum.net and we're of course based at Crawford School of Public Policy. Crawford is the Asia Pacific's leading graduate policy school and we offer a wide range of short courses, master's degrees and PhD programs from economic policy to environmental management. Applications for semester two for this year have now closed, so you've missed your chance for semester two, but it's never too early to scout out your options. Have a browse on our website and find out more about your next potential step in your career at crawford.anu.edu.au forward slash study. Now, regular listeners will know that Policy Forum Pod is one of a number of podcasts we produce. We also produce Mark Kinney's Democracy Sausage Pod. And if you didn't hear it last week on Democracy Sausage, Mark talked to Christy Hess from Deakin University about the future of local newspapers. It was a really interesting discussion, and I recommend you give it a listen if you haven't heard it yet. Today, we want to pick up that ball and run with it, or be in a slightly different direction by opening the discussion to covering news beyond newspapers. Just this week, the University of Canberra published a report looking at news audience needs in rural and regional Australia. The report identified significant gaps in news reporting for these communities. Whilst about 88% of survey participants are accessing local news regularly, it turned out that about a quarter had no local news service or newspaper at all. A report by the same researchers also revealed the myriad challenges journalists are facing in trying to service rural and regional communities, with many of the journalists saying that they're lacking time and resources to do the best work they can. So today we're asking, what do local audiences need in terms of news? And is there a way that policymakers can help to meet those demands? And Today, I've got two pod regulars and friends of Policy Forum Pod with me. First of all is Caroline Fisher. 
Caroline is an associate professor at the University of Canberra, and she's a member of the News and Media Research Centre and co-author of the annual Digital News Report Australia. I also have, and this is going to be very confusing because I've got a Caroline and a Carolyn, but so with, with me also is Carolyn Hendricks. She's an associate professor of governance and policy here at Crawford School and also a senior visiting democracy fellow at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation at Harvard University. So hello, Carolyn. Hi, Martin. Hi, Caroline. And hello, Caroline. How are you? Hi there, Carolyn. And hi, Martin. <laughs> So, Caroline, let's talk first about this research that you and the team at the University of Canberra have just published on the news demands of local audiences. What were the kind of key findings that really jumped out for you? So, yes, this this report, we've done two, uh, one on uh, local news um, audiences, and that was led by my colleague, Professor Sora Park, and um, another one on the needs of uh, regional journalists. And we just felt that, you know, all the debate that's been going on about uh, the changes impacting on, on the regional news media that we often don't hear uh, from the audiences themselves and we often don't hear from the practitioners themselves. So the research that we've done um, has, you know, attempted to fill that gap. But look, like you said in your intro, Martin, there um, we, we surveyed 2,000-plus um, regional news consumers uh, from around the country in a range of different-sized uh, local government areas and uh, we found that there are already significant gaps. And this just be mindful that these surveys uh, this research was done prior to COVID. So this does not uh, take into account that, you know, more than 100 newspapers have closed, um, you know, in the, in the last few months. So um, this, yeah, this uh, research uh, was in the field just prior to, um, well, just towards the end of last year. So the impacts are likely to be much Absolutely. worse now. Much worse, much worse, that's right. So, um as it was, this is prior to COVID, um, there were already large gaps in the provision of news uh, to uh, regional audiences. Um, yes, about a quarter of people said that they didn't have access to a, a local TV news service or a, a local newspaper. And so that's quite a lot. Um, and, you know, about half said that there, there was no physical ABC local radio presence in their area either. Um, so, you know, when you're thinking about the uh, the information offerings uh, for people across regional Australia, it's patchy. For some people, they've got, you know, a bit of everything. They've got a TV, they've got a newspaper, they've got commercial radio and ABC, but there are some people who really, you know, have difficulty accessing any of it. Carolyn, let me turn to you because you've done a lot of uh, work with community groups and, and grassroots operations. What does local news media play for, for, for those types of people in rural and regional areas? One of the things that we've found in our research, so I've been doing some research on on how local groups and community groups contest issues. How do they do politics locally? Um, and a lot of that is taking place online in social media platforms. That is how they're organising, self-organising and, co- and coordinating. But the way in which they're then um, promoting their ideas and trying to build a broader kind of conversation around these local issues is through those local newspapers. So the study we did on coal seam gas up in northern New South Wales um, found, so in, in the, the area of Narrabri and Coonabarabran, there's, there's a lot of Facebook groups that have formed over, over 50 or 60 just on that local coal seam gas controversy there. 
um, there's a proposed uh, coal seam gas project and there's a lot of division within the rural communities in that area. And the, the Narrabri Courier has become a really important kind of platform for these groups to, um, you know, get their picture in the paper, they're protesting, or if there's other community groups that actually support the project, they've, they've put in, um, you know, editorials or position um, opinion pieces to kind of provide arguments for why this proposal. So from a democratic point of view, these these local newspapers are not just about local information, local news, they're actually allowing for public discourse on those place-based issues that, that people in, in the, the large metropolitan areas probably aren't going to report on. Caroline, you and your team found, as you said, that whilst about 88% of survey participants are accessing local news regularly. About a quarter had no local news service or newspapers. So what's happening with those those people? Are they just missing out on that sort of vital local information or are they taken to other platforms, you know, perhaps sort of Facebook groups and things like that in order to share that information? Yeah, I mean, what Carolyn um, says rings true with our research. I mean, yes, I mean, people need local news. I mean, people need to tell stories. They need to stay connected. News uh, and the newspaper or uh, the local news service p- plays a really important role in, uh, in, in you know, bonding a community in, in, in a sense of belonging. And we know that um, in those communities, particularly small LGAs, so communities sort of less than 30,000, uh, where they've had closures in the last five years, um, there has been a shift towards um, establishing social media, you know, pages, etc., to try and fill that information gap to keep the community informed about what's going on in the area and keep people in contact with each other. Do those sorts of uh, social media groups, do they ultimately fulfil the same role as uh, as local news? Because, you know, local news are staffed by experienced journalists. They know how to uh, do court reporting. They know how to talk to the fireys and to the police to how to get that information out. Um, they, are, they, they go and sit in council meetings and report on them diligently. So... Are the, are, the, are the the two things balancing them themselves out? No, I mean that these uh, social media groups are fulfilling one one need only, and that is you know keeping people connected with with local events, etc., uh, community happenings uh, in in their area. No, you're quite right. The the accountability, the public interest journalism that you're talking about, the court reporting, the attending council meetings, etc. No, doesn't doesn't occur in those spaces. Uh, and but what we are also seeing is um, innovation in in more traditional forms of newspapers etc being established as well I mean there's a couple of great examples one quite close to us here in the ACT um, in in yes uh, where the local people have got together uh, to establish a, a, you know a, a physical newspaper um, because the other one had closed down and we're seeing that type of innovation in in lots of places. So, and that just really speaks to uh, the fact that you know the 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 newspaper does need to be there, and it does need to employ journalists with skills to ask hard questions and and play that scrutiny role. Yeah, I mean, it's really pleasing to hear that communities are taking it on themselves to establish these types of newspapers, but. 
the financial situation of newspapers has been dire for you know decades and that was even before the covid-19 crisis so are there kind of economic models for those innovative community led models that that are sustainable well, that's one of the things that we were trying to explore in in this study about the needs of local uh, news audiences or regional news audiences to look at well, what are they prepared to pay, uh, and and what for, and. Um, the good news is, is that they are prepared to pay for relevant news. Um, they would like to have, you know, a reporter based in their town. Um, they would like to have, uh, if it's an online kind of news service, they want it to be easily accessible, easy to navigate. Um, if it's a subscription, they'd like to be able to cancel it easily. There's a whole range of things that people would be prepared uh, to pay for, but they're not prepared to pay that much for it. Um, so, you know, a small monthly uh, fee or a donation uh, for um, for a new local news service, particularly in areas where those um, services have closed down. So there's a willingness, there is a willingness to pay, but there's not a willingness to pay very much. So in all of these uh in all of these startups, um, subscription will pay for some of it, but at the end of the day, you do still need to offset the costs with some type of advertising or some type of philanthropy because, um, you know, people have to have their wages paid and, um, you know, news is expensive. Carolyn, you must have worked in communities which have suffered the loss of their local news media. How does that loss play out in terms of the political participation process? One of the things that I think you see in communities where there's not a well-functioning or even a balanced um, local news service is you know, people do then shift on to li- online or into other other spaces of communication, and and I guess um, this this research I mentioned before in Narrabri, I mean, we 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 were looking actually at the communicative landscape. The question we were asking was, you know, how is democracy performed in this era when there's so many different spaces for people to connect and engage and communicate? And we wrote a paper on listening, um, looking specifically at at how our citizens themselves listening in this controversy on coal seam gas. And one of the things we found there was that there was a lot of um, what we'd call horizontal listening in the public sphere, so between citizens, but it was between citizens that were kind of more or less like-minded. And so we've all heard of this term echo chambers, but it really kind of rung true in these local kind of communities that we're looking at. And so I guess what happens is that um, the the public debate starts to get increasingly polarised, and that's not good for any kind of community. Um, particularly small rural communities where it's very difficult to avoid people. And so these divisions can can become not just kind of, you know, political divisions, they're actually personal divisions. They, they affect the whole democratic and social fabric of these, these towns and these places. Um, and so a good local news service ought to be able to and should provide sort of a more balanced view of things. And so people can start to, if you like, listen across divisions and see, oh, okay, I see that point of view, I can, I can appreciate that, that argument. And in those communities, I think, um, where they have had those local newspapers, there's, there's a sort of broader kind of appreciation of why people hold particular views. So I think that's a, that's a real danger for our local democracies that, and, and the civic capacity in those communities. If there's not this kind of intermediary you know, platform for people to be able to learn about um, different positions and different arguments. 
Oh, Martin, the other thing I was just going to add to that was that not just that, but, you know, um, when it comes to the closure of, uh, you know, local news outlets, et cetera, the, you know, it's the elderly, it's the, it's the, um, those with um, lower incomes and lower education, et cetera, who are going to be the hardest hit. And um, and that's shown in um, other research that we've done um, about news consumption um, and local news. So um, it's not just, the, the, you know, this uh, risk of, I guess, echo chambers um, online, um, but just absolute exclusion of, of people who, who aren't online and who are mm. disadvantaged. So we are going to take a break in a second, but before we do, there was there was one thing, Caroline, that really sort of jumped out at me in your study, which was that you found that regional news consumers have a much higher level of trust in local news compared to the national or news in general. What do you think is behind that? It's because we think the news is much more relevant to them and it is about them. So they are, they can almost empirically test it through their own living, lived experience about whether or not that did actually happen. And they can talk about it over the fence with their neighbour and say, oh, did you know that happened? They say, yes, I know someone who was there. So there is this just much closer, um, the news is much uh, less removed from all of their daily experience. And so in that sense, they can, they can almost verify it for themselves. So, uh, it, it's not surprising in many ways that trust is higher if the reporting, of course, is accurate. Um, but it's also very, you know, in a local community, you're, you're, you're much more accountable to your community. Uh, and so, you know, you need to, uh, reporters need to, um, be very mindful of not sensationalizing and not, 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 not over egging a story, uh, because they may well bump into the person in the in the local butchers. Okay, well let's take a quick break there, but we'll be back in a minute. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Around the world, democracies are in crisis. Leaders have become followers. Populists offer glib solutions to complex problems, and people search for answers. Block out the noise. Each week on Democracy Sausage, we go deeper to bring you insights from leading scholars, journalists and commentators to help you make sense of the world. I'm Mark Kenny from the Australian National University. Join me at the Democracy Sausage Hot Plate every Monday and Thursday. Welcome back. I'm still here with Carolyn and Caroline. And now I'd like to talk about the uh, journalists who are working in rural and regional news media. Caroline, what are some of the obstacles that journalists are facing trying to serve those communities? I mean, we've seen over the last few years, increasingly journalists who are working in those types of places are having to write for more than one newspaper. They might be covering more than just their local area. But what else is happening with journalists? 
Well, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, the biggest obstacle um, that they identified, um, this was a survey um, of 307 uh, regional journalists, again, that we did at the similar at the end of last year. Um, they are, you know, incredibly overworked. Um, so their biggest challenge is time and, and resources. There's not enough staff, there's not enough time, there's just not enough money uh, to serve their communities in the way that they'd like to serve them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you're, you're quite right, the increasing demands of an online environment and, and the demands of social media. Uh, and so that, of course, is just on top of your regular reporting. Um, you don't, you're not asked to report less and then, and then tweet about it or post about it on, on Facebook, it's all, you know, on top of those, you know, traditional story writing um, duties. So people found 95% of the journalist surveys said that the um, social media had had the biggest impact on their work over the past five years. Uh, the influence of it had really strengthened. And the other thing actually was the growth the demand for visual story elements, so whether it's video or photographs or data visualisation or whatever, but the strength of of visuals uh, for storytelling and them having to then gain those skills uh, as videographers or as photographers, um, that that's, you know, that these are increasing demands for them in, in those areas and uh, and some are getting the training they need to do that and some, of course, aren't. Carolyn, we've talked about um, the impact of losing local news on uh, on those sort of grassroots groups that you work with. But what about the impact of losing the journalists that they those grassroots groups would have regular contact with? I mean, we've talked about how journalists obviously serve a, a, an essential role in um, rural and regional communities, but journalists as a whole are you know not wildly popular with people you know you you see you see a number of sort of uh, opinion polls ranking them up there with you know real estate agents and used car salesmen i mean so do the grassroots groups that you work with feel the loss of those journalists and have any of them uh, taken it upon themselves to sort of train themselves up to 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 fill that gap yeah, so, I mean, in the areas where I've been researching, the, I guess the community groups feel um, kind of a bit ambivalent about the local, some of the local papers. Um, but I think that's not the journalists per se. I think it's it's more that the they don't feel like there's been a lot of receptivity to their position. Um, but I think um, other, other journalists that I do know that live in regional areas, um, I think they they are highly networked and respected actually like caroline was saying i think there's a there's a you know these these people are embedded in the in the communities they see each other in the supermarket the school drop off and so um, i guess that it's a different category i would say of journalists than than in the big metropolitans who 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 aren't well known and, and aren't sort of out and about on the streets um, and I think in that sense, their capacity to set agendas, to, to be able to blow the whistle on things, if someone, you know, does experience or, or perceive some corruption, that they can approach that person. Um, and also just their capacity, I guess, to um, to form those connections across community that, that often we don't even realise is happening. So So these might be sort of interesting innovations or opportunities for different groups to work together. I think a, a local journalist can really play this, um, I guess, bridging function in, in these communities. Um, 
I guess it depends on the, the character and the person, that journalist, and then how they report. But a well-respected journalist um, does does develop all those networks and can, can be an absolute asset, like, like a, a fantastic GP can be to a community. Mm. I mean, Martin, I just want to add to that too, that, you know, that, that's been one of the great things, of course, about digital media and social media is that it has uh, given a publishing platform to voices that aren't, you know, aren't given space in mainstream newspapers and mainstream uh, news outlets. I mean, the, the mainstream news agenda traditionally is pretty narrow. Uh, and and so it's been fantastic uh, that uh, niche groups, uh, minority groups, people who have felt ignored by the mainstream media are now able, you know, to uh, beat their own drum and to publish and, and develop their own audience and get their own message out there. And, and, People, of course, are increasingly turning to non-news sources uh, for information. Um, we did a study uh, during the COVID uh, outbreak and uh, looking at the where people were getting their news from about COVID. Mo- most people were getting it from the news media, but you know, lots of people were going to the specialist sites for you know the WHO or for the government, etc., to go straight to the source to get that information for themselves. And we see that as well in another study we did about where people get information about climate change. Uh, yes, from the news media, but you know those who are really interested are, are going to specialist sites and blogs and, and other places to get information. So you know the ecology, the information ecology is just kind of exploding, and uh, and you know yes, in a local town, the local newspaper is still very very important, but increasingly through need because of closures etc. But just through sheer you know, sheer fact that you can, people are now turning elsewhere to expand the amount of information that they can they can access. Caroline, you mentioned earlier about uh, the number of community rural and regional papers that have closed, some temporarily, some presumably not to open again as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. Your, your research looked specifically before that crisis actually here. What's, what's your best guess about what the environment for rural and regional news is going to look like once we get to the other side of, of this crisis? Look, um, it's going to look, you know, really precarious and more precarious than it did. The thing is, you know, that the, it, it was, you know, the news media generally in Australia is in bad shape, um, particularly in regional Australia. Um, and, you know, yes, COVID has just kind of accelerated uh, the decline that was underway, you know, just completely, yes, uh, advertising had been dwindling, but it, it just evaporated. So, you know, the shift to online um, to reduce costs, etc. you know, may have been five years down the track. But now for many papers, for a lot of the ACM papers, News Corp papers, it's, you know, this is the, now the turning point. You know, it's just brought everything forward. The shift to online only was inevitable. Uh, but it's just now, like I say, you know, happened earlier, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, There's still, you know, innovative models for funding are desperately needed. I mean, the government has, you know, um, made funding available through a small, you know, regional publishers fund um, and through a thing called PING, which is, you know, uh, another little targeted fund for um, for um, regional uh, news in particular. But these are not long-term solutions Um, and, of course, they're looking to bigger issues around, you know, um, mandatory agreements with the big tech companies about paying people. But whether or not that's going to be a solution for small regional publishers um, is, you know, is is unlikely and that is all still very much in play. Um, Really, 
you know, it's the million dollar question. Um, but I, I can't, unless Australians start to pay for the news that they want to read, whether it's their local newspaper or a national newspaper or whatever, we really just have to pay for it. But even still, that won't be the whole answer. We are going to have to have some type of advertising or some type of supplementary income into those news outlets if they're going to have any depth or breadth to their coverage. Now, I, I want to finish it finish it up, but this is obviously a podcast which is about public policy, and I wonder if some of the answers might come from uh, public policy. When we've we've talked about some of the innovations that the communities themselves are doing to tackle this deficit, and I I live in Yass Valley, so I was delighted to see that Yass paper uh, appear that you that you mentioned earlier. But what about policymakers? What what might government do to help meet the, the the demands of local audience whilst also supporting local and regional journalists in the process? Perhaps if I uh, put that to you first, Carolyn. I guess if we think about this like analogous to sport, you know, that, that we know that sport is important for people's well-being, we need to invest in it, the government needs to support community sport, it needs to provide funds to kind of, you know, make sure that local communities are active. I mean, if we thought, think about this as sort of like a democratic muscle and a kind of an important part of our, um, you know, of our social and democratic fabric in these communities, then then I don't see why, why we can't have some sort of um, longer-term solution that, that not just these grant-based processes but something that actually recognises the fundamental role that these media local media plays in particularly in regional rural Australia and so you could for example imagine a, a sort of um, an indirect payment where people a portion of people's rates for example go into the local media um, service I mean you don't want to connect it too closely to the actual elected council but if it was somehow tied to local government area or even um, agglomerations of those areas region on a regional basis you, you could you could get sort of some sort of structure where you're basically collecting funds that would then go into funding a sort of um, you know a, a kind of locally based regional and now some people say that's what the ABC should should and is doing but we know that there's been cuts also in in their budget so this is this is about having um, communities in you know, particularly newspapers that people value, um, you know, seeing themselves being part of a community and that visual part that Caroline talked about I think is also really important. So for me I think it has to be government stepping in um, and offering some sort of financial contribution. I think that sounds like a terrific idea and I wonder if there's any anybody listening to this podcast who works in a local council who might be doing something like that or might be planning to do something like that and if you are please do get in contact we'd love to hear about it. But what about what about you Caroline what are your thoughts? Look, I mean, I think for politicians, you know, supporting the media and its financial viability, it's a bit of a vexed uh, issue for them. On the one hand, they they can see that, yes, you know, journalism performs an important democratic role. But on the other hand, you know, they also enjoy a little less scrutiny. And I say that not just to be cynical and, and as a cheap shot. I mean that genuinely um, because of digital media, just like other parts of the community who can now publish um, their thoughts, you know, directly to their own communities. I mean, politicians need the news media less now. Uh, they all publish directly via their social media channels, etc., and and do so without scrutiny. So they effectively bypass that. So 
we've even seen in the ACT, you know, the, the Chief Minister, uh, he, you know, comments he made in a public forum uh, to communicators where he was, you know, he said how much he hated journalists and and how he his whole communication strategy for the government was to bypass the news media and for them to have a direct communication strategy to the public. So there is a, there's always been this kind of, difficult relationship, a tense relationship, a necessarily tense relationship between the news media and politicians. And I raise it because I do think it feeds into kind of a policy reluctance to kind of really step in and to save the day really and to make sure that the news media is is as diverse and robust as it should be because a really robust news media means robust scrutiny and you know, when you can publish directly to the public without scrutiny now, um, do you want to, you know, increase funding to organisations that are going to put the heat on you? That's a very good question indeed. But I think we'll leave it there. It's been a fascinating discussion. So I want to thank you both, Caroline and Carolyn, for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Martin. Well, listeners, that's it for today's pod, and we want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts, ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments on this or any episode of Policy Forum Pod. We always love hearing from you. We're on Twitter as APPS Policy Forum. That's Apps Policy Forum. You can send us an email, podcast at policyforum.net. But the best way to reach us is, of course, through our Facebook group. You can find us and all of the members of the pod squad under Policy Forum Pod on Facebook. So jump in and join in. And as part of your membership of that group, you will, of course, get exclusive access to the Ask Policy Forum pod series. It's the podcast where you ask the questions and we've designed it especially for you. Each month, we ask you directly what you would like to know from our experts. And that can be anything from the serious to the seriously left field. And once we've fielded your questions, we'll put together a panel and get that episode ready for your listening pleasure. We're really looking forward to the next one. So don't forget to join. We look forward to seeing you in our Policy Forum pod group. Now, before we leave you, another quick reminder to subscribe to the pod. That way you won't miss out on any new episodes. We're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And maybe you even want to leave us a quick review. We'd love to have your feedback. We'll be back with another episode of Policy Forum Pod next week. But until then, stay happy, stay safe, look after yourselves and each other. And cheerio for now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.